From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 289 with guest Jeff Stokes, recorded Monday, October 29th, 2012. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon, and thank you, listeners, for listening to Run As Radio. It's Richard Campbell here, and I am at home briefly. Got a few days off on our 12-week insane .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2012 launch road trip. And if you haven't seen it yet, go to the .NET Rocks.com website, click on the big road trip link, and you'll see this path we're cutting across the U.S. twice, because once is just not enough. But that's not today's topic. Today's topic is virtual desktop, and I've got Jeff Stokes, the PFE out of Microsoft, and the guy who posts on the blog, Dude, Where's My PFE? Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. So uh, changing your role up a little bit. Yeah, uh, I'm actually transitioned to what they call a dedicated engineer, so I service uh, a few enterprise environments instead of uh, sort of traveling across the country every week. Right. Yeah. So you've got so a, few, a handful of big customers that you focus on? I do, I do. Uh, one of them is uh, a VDI environment that um, is uh, over 50,000 seats, I think is all I'm allowed to say. Wow, 50,000 virtual desktops. Yep. That's a lot. That's the biggest one I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's done pretty well, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've uh, been doing a lot of customized work and, um, you know, sort of looking at what does the image need to look like sure. in the VM and, and configuration changes and how do we collect traces and things like that. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what's in this VDI software suite and what the, uh, what, you know, the customer's experience is like? Um, I can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Citrix uh, Zen uh, on top of uh, a VMware infrastructure for now. Okay. And uh, we're actually being evaluated uh, with the 2012 rollout. A Fiber B. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, running Windows 7, mm -hmm. and uh, it's non-persistent pools. So um, it's, uh, you know, a completely dynamic environment, and uh, we're looking at things like uh, the new version of uh, user environment uh, virtualization, UEV. Mm-hmm that's uh, currently in beta, uh, we're looking at that. And um, uh, we're also making some design changes to the uh, the base image uh, based on some feedback that we have from kind of a peer review. Because um, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, so there are a couple of field engineers that uh, and myself that have done some work in the VDI space. And what we've been getting uh, pretty clearly from customers is the request for guidance from Microsoft to very clearly say what is and what is not supported in a virtualized environment for my Windows 7. And uh, when we go in and take a look at the the other offerings from uh, third parties and competitors and things like that, a lot of them seem to conflict. There's a lot of guidance out, out there that mm -hmm. would make your image unsupported. Um, uh, disabling the Windows Firewall service is a good example where Yikes. we just don't support yeah running Windows 7 without that service running. Disabling the profiles are fine if that's what you need to do, but turning off the service is just a no-no, right? Well, and and it that just seems like a that's the sort of thing a developer says just because they don't want to take the time to figure out what ports to open. 
yeah, um, I'm not really sure where that guidance comes from in the in the VDI space mm-hmm. to to shut that off. It, 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 there wasn't really a clear explanation as why. The other one that really kind of gave us the heebie-jeebies was uh, uh, turning off ASLR. Hey, and what is ASLR? That's the address space layer randomization for the kernel. Okay. Where we don't load the same binaries or DLLs into the same address space every time the machine boots. So there's a, a third party that recommends disabling that so they can get better density in the VDI environment. Now, why do we have address layer randomization? Well, uh, back in the XP days, which some people are still in those, yep. um, there uh, was a database, and probably still is, uh, that was done by the Black Hat Conference of all the address spaces where the DLLs for Windows and NTOS kernel and things like that would load. Right. And so if you got a buffer overrun, then you could go in and execute arbitrary code calling these function calls because they knew where the addresses were of all the kernel space. So this is sort of a, again, you know, both things you pointed out here about the firewall and about ALSR is straight up security features, making your system less vulnerable. Mm Mm-hmm, exactly. And uh, some of that can, uh, I think when you turn off the ASLR, uh, you can also look at uh, uh, potentially breaking some of the things that have to do with AppCompat as well. I haven't mm-hmm. really looked into it from that perspective, but just the idea that we're saying, yeah, let's make the, the OS that we're going to run our mission-critical stuff on, you know, in this VDI farm, let's just make that unsecure just right. isn't really a good answer for me. Well, and, it, and again, it speaks to sort of laziness that, okay, you turn this capability off, and your app now runs. So now you know it's got something to do with the way that feature works. Now study the feature and figure out how you can get it on and still function. Right, or it may be that they're doing deduping of memory or something like that. I'm not really sure what the guidance is on that one. Right. But uh, you, know, you go through and read like um, you know the Citrix paper, or the VMware, the EMC papers about what you should do to the image. And there are some similarities and some differences here and there. And uh, so we basically got together and said, well, what what's what can we do to the furthest extreme, really, and still make the image supportable? And so that's where our script comes in. And uh, it's up on my site. Um, and uh, we've it's sort of a living document based on feedback. We already had MCS give us some guidance about not turning off the uh, offline file uh, service. Oh, yeah. Um, apparently, if you just turn it off uh, using the method that we had put in, um, it uh, can cause some additional problems with DFS links and things like that. So we actually made that, you know, we, we put that guidance into the script. Hey, don't do this. Instead, use a GPO to do it because that's the supported way to do it. Okay. So it's kind of a, a document that we're getting industry feedback from now. We've already presented it tech-ready internally, gotten some feedback there. We've used it in a couple of proof of concepts at customer sites, and people are pretty happy with it. Right. And you got up to a scale of 50,000 desktops. Right. Yeah, more than that. But yeah, that's above that number. Yeah. So how much hardware are we running this on? It, it's a bit. I don't have the exact count of the servers, um, but, uh, you know, a bunch of beefy servers. I think our density is like 50 to 1. Okay. I mean, it's still incredibly good scale. Yeah. I guess it's, that's, a, that's a win. It's a lot less hardware than if you're running for, for everything. Talk to me about what the customer experience is like in here. Are they logging into regular machines? Right. So they actually log into thin clients. And so they log in and uh, get connected to this non-persistent pool, mm-hmm. right? So when they're done, the VM gets thrown away. 
their user settings and uh, all their uh, files and everything are done through folder redirection and GPO application and things like that. Okay. And um, it's pretty good. Uh, I actually participated in a, uh, a review where we were talking with one of the business units about adopting this environment. And um, they... Uh, they had us do a study of what is the what is the experience like on physical versus the virtual right. and is it is it acceptable which i think is a fair thing to do absolutely i mean that's what it comes down to is if it's my machine with my configuration living on it you know, what's that like compared to can you talk a little bit what kind of thin client are they using um i believe most of them are a, a linux based uh thin client um uh, we had some trouble with um Multimedia and some, you know, some problems like that that were right. fixed through like, uh, you know, Linux updates and, and firmware updates on the thin clients. Yeah. They, they need, need a certain amount of their own maintenance, but you're basically persisting this, uh, this Windows 7 VM image just for the duration of the work. And then pretty much everything's tossed away. All of the files that they're actually modified are redirected folders that are elsewhere. So it's pretty, that seems pretty transparent. Yeah. It is, and uh, a lot of the applications themselves are virtualized as well. So they, you know, we don't have uh, multiple images really that we support. It's more of when you log in, you get a profile, and these images get streamed down to you. Hmm. So the, it's all about how what the streaming time is like. Then, like how much weight is there when you go to open an app? It's not bad. Uh, some of them are pre-buffered, uh, so they get spawned or, or cop streamed down when the machine is, is being spun up. So we use some of that disk time and CPU time during, uh, you know, the boot up phase. Right. Uh, and then others, uh, we just have them invoked when, uh, when the application is done, you know, that'll start streaming then. But they, the lead times aren't that bad. Uh, everything's centralized in data center with, you know, high speed links and it, it's running pretty well. Okay. Yeah, and it yeah. So I guess we need to talk about this script, and I certainly I'll probably provide a link to it uh, on the website so folks can go grab it from there. And, you, and I see your disclaimer right at the top. If you break it, you get to keep the pieces. <laughs> That's right. And this is VB script. This is old school. It is old school. Um, if you've ever uh, heard of Jonathan Bennett, he was an MCS guy uh, for a while and then went off and formed his own company. Back when he was MCS, he had started this uh, auto IT script. Maybe you've heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the tools that he had written a long time ago, this is, you know, 2010 is when he copyrighted it, um, was to, you know, optimize via, uh, the VDI. And uh, essentially he left it as sort of this half-done project. And so I spoke with him and said, hey, you know, we'd like to kind of bring this thing full circle and, and get a release. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll give you credit and everything. And, you know, he was tickled pink that someone was actually interested in, in sort of making something definitive. So, well, and especially since, I mean, VDI in 2010, those were early days, not an easy thing to do. Right, right. So what are the major features here about what you actually, I mean, clearly you're not turning off the firewall, you know, what are you adjusting? What, what does a good VDI uh, optimization look like? Well, we're, we're disabling a lot of the services that just don't make any sense. Um, you know, the BitLocker drive encryption, uh, adaptive brightness, you know, things like that, hmm. Bluetooth service. Um the computer browser, of course. Uh, we do some other tricks, though, like um, it's not enough to disable just the disk defragmentation service. Right. You actually need to go in and shut off some tasks, uh, scheduled tasks, and put some uh, changes in the registry to turn off, like, the boot optimize function, right. the scheduled defrags, things like that. Yeah, this is all that stuff that Win7 does when it owns the hardware to make boot time shorter, to make app load times faster, and they just don't apply in a VDI world. 
Right. I mean, if it were persistent, it might, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. But it, it, it's it's sort of a juggling act at that point. And so, you know, I actually wrote a uh, another blog post that's the deconstructing of the the script, where I talk about what they are, what's the weight, you know, and and I want to flesh it out some more to talk about what are the really the benefits. But like one of them in here, I have you turn off, is the Bluetooth uh, service. Right. Well, we found that if you're using a VDI environment where you need to print to a printer with like USB direction or something like that, mm -hmm. and you're printing back to a device, some of the printer drivers require the Bluetooth stack to be enabled to print. Wow. You know, that's weird. That's really weird. <laughs> but yeah, that's why we tell you to test, right? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that, that was certainly something that was unexpected, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. And then we, you know, we do things like turn off the super fetcher, uh, the sysmain service, um, and then some other things that like we would even recommend in a WD wrap, like universal plug and play and uh, SSDP. Uh, those just don't really need to be run in a corporate environment anyway. And it, it, you get back to the double whammy, which is, does this actually impact things that they are running? Yeah. Um, you, you have to wonder, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, how many broadcasts on the network uh, that everyone's having to deal with are, um, you know, SSDP. Hey, is there, you know, a wireless device that I can talk to here? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you and just have to wonder. And it's, and it's never going to be, so stop asking. Right, right. I mean, particularly in a VDI, you know, I mean, this this image is not going anywhere. You know, it's not going down to Starbucks. Right. So. Yeah, it's not it's not portable. But, you, you know, you get back to this interesting idea. And, I, and we're seeing this more on the server side than we are on the client side of starting to default with stuff turned off. Right. right. We're looking at a list of features that, that default to stuff turned on. Card space service on by default. And who's, yeah. I don't know that there's very many people using that at all, much less in a VDI environment. Right. That's true. Yep. So what about, and then you, I see Windows Defender also turned off. Is that just a recognition? It doesn't matter what happens to this VM. It's going to get thrown away anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Now, this is obviously a Windows 7 specific right. uh, VDI script. We haven't written one for eight yet just because we haven't, um, you know, haven't you know, Windows 8 just released. So we, we haven't gotten to the point where no. we're good enough to say, yeah, turn this off, turn this off, do this, do that. I mean, we just, you know, no one's had enough experience with it yet. Well, in my experience working with PFEs in general is you don't just come up with these settings. These are things you've, you're using in the field. This 50,000 plus seat installation, these are the settings these guys are using? Yeah, except for a couple of them we had to turn turn back on, like the Bluetooth example. Because of the printer requirements. Yeah, which is kind of an oddball one, but yeah. Uh, there's some of these uh, hard drive settings, the the hard drive timeouts. What are they about? Well, we're assuming in in my environment in particular, this is the truth that uh, the VDI environment is going to be talking back to a NAS or SAN or some sort of hosted disk, right? Some difference exists. Yeah, that seems to be the common practice with VDI in general, right? Any sure. persistent storage is separate from the uh, the VM. Right. So when you first spin up, you may have a lot of, uh, particularly during a, a boot, boot storm, you may run into a problem where you have a high amount of uh, disk activity and the disk may, from the operating system perspective, appear to time out occasionally. Right. Uh, that's also true of the service starts where we have to make the services accept that they can take longer uh, time to start up. You know, because so, we don't want to have one that, you know, times out and then all the dependencies fail on it because it gave up trying. Right. And it was just the fact that disk was slow during it, a boot storm. It needed to wait a little bit longer. So, yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of 
And a lot of this power, and I see it's all power config settings. There's a lot of mm-hmm. power config settings that just don't make sense in a VM environment. No. Or system restore or, uh, you know, the offloading. Mm-hmm. Uh, that connect, that's, that's actually something when you look at the Citrix paper where, you know, if, if your hypervisor isn't allowing the VM guest to go and talk to the, the offloading uh, components of the NIC, I mean, that actually can cause problems. Sure. You know, having that turned on. Yeah. It, and again, it's just, you're not around long enough for this to matter. So I, right. I, I see an awful lot of features turned off that just don't make sense in a, in a temporary environment, which is essentially what a VDI environment is. And then an awful lot of increasing of timings. It's like, this mm-hmm. might take longer. It might. I mean, we get back to that same old question of what is the real impact of going VDI? It's, is it primarily startup time? Yeah, that's what we tend to see. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get over the bootstorm, and as long as your antivirus is configured to not hammer everybody at once with a, some sort of routine scan, uh, once things are afloat, it, it tends to be more of a function of CPU load and memory footprint than it does to be of I.O. Does and, it make uh, sense to have seeing. virus scan running at all? You know, it, it's a tough sell to the security department to say don't run AV at all. But one of the things, like, you know, if you have a gold image that you're you're manufacturing every month and it's already been virus scanned and it's already been looked at, do you need to scan on read? Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah. when you know that it's not going to be persisted in the VM because the VM's being tossed out and you're probably doing back-end scans into the store anyway. Yeah. So which is a better place to catch it. Yep. And also one of the things that we recommend you turning off is that last access timestamp in uh, FSUtil. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is every time you read a file in Windows, we update the last access timestamp. So every time you read to a file, you write to it. So that includes, increases I.O. quite a bit. So yeah. we actually tell you to turn that off. And that's something we recommended in the enterprise for a while. I mean, think about it from a file server perspective, if you have that left on. You're just doubling on the chatter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's just it's, what a simple minor thing. And it seemed like when it's your drive on your machine... That's not a big deal. But when it's a centralized file server dealing with thousands of, of users and, and, and hundreds of thousands of files, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It adds up to a lot. Yeah. Uh, where else here? Uh, we, we really talked just about machine settings so far, just how machines should behave properly. What about the user profiles? What, what do they get? What do they lose? Yeah. Um you know, we're we're kind of at a, a juncture point where we're looking at, well, what do we have now? And then uh, can we make use of the UEV mm-hmm. for uh, the user customizations? But uh, a lot of the settings that uh, I see in VDI are sort of statically set in the image, and the user isn't allowed to change them and customize them anyway. You know, I mean, you might have word templates and things like that, but for the most part, the, the settings and the, the user profile are all pretty much the same. Right. You know? Um, you do run into some problems where if they, you know, put a lot of data into uh, uh, the wrong area, you know, if they write it into uh, a spot that gets replicated down when they log in, then it can take a while. But with the folder redirection, it's all hosted somewhere else. And then you just have to worry about, is the latency acceptable, right? Are we doing SMB2 through the entire conversation? Or are we having to talk down to SMB1 for the filer? You know, things like that are what really come into play from a conversation perspective. And you'd hope not, right? They, right, right. Do, do we really need SMB1 in our lives anymore, honestly? I would say no. I would say no. <laughs> in fact, SMB3 uh, is pretty impressive. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at that. We've but, done a uh, whole show just on that alone. 
Okay. Because okay. yeah. it is so powerful, right? It's just you know recognizing the strength of that uh, capability. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, just the bonding of Nix. It's like, oh, all of a sudden my, my file server can do a lot. Yeah. But then is the disk going to keep up with it because you're used to a file server functioning at a certain level? Yep. You know, well, we it, this is the this is our lives, Jeff. We just keep shuffling the bottleneck to the next place. It's so true. Yeah. So I've opened <laughs> I've opened up the nick. You know, cleared that bottleneck out. Now I'm going to bury the bus. Thanks for playing. Yep. Uh, but you know, we we wanted reasons to buy more SSDs. And there you go. That is true. That is true. <laughs> yep. How much does the hardware of these thin clients impact the VDI experience? Um, quite a bit, um, you know, in a couple ways. Uh, we're we're running on blades, and I think most people that are doing VDI probably are, uh, just to get better density, right? And um, or they're or they're running really big beefy machines with a lot of cores, right. I suppose. But um, uh, you know, you look at it. Uh, blades have come a long way, but uh, some of our older stuff, you know, you have to keep an eye on the firmware updates, and you know, do we disable the deep sea states in the BIOS and things like that, or are hmm. things that come into talk, you know? Um, but uh, the new cores uh, from Intel, in particular, and I mean and AMD, you know, they're both pretty good, but uh, they're 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 doing so much work now that it. It just—it's amazing to be in the industry for this long and and kind of take a look back where, you know, my first Pentium was a Pentium 60, and and now that's that's nothing. You know, that Taskman takes up more CPU. Sure. Yeah. Without a doubt, yeah. we've got so much processing horsepower. But when they talk, start talking about these thin clients, like that's not the hardware they're using. Right. Right. It's, right. it's a quite a bit lighter than that. Yeah. One of the challenges I actually ran into was okay, so we have this thin client. And we're not making use of the uh, HDX feature in Citrix to offload the graphics horsepower onto the GPU of the server. Right. Right? So we're having to stream all that down and let the thin client deal with it. Well, is the thin client really beefy enough to deal with streaming media? Right? And and can we really handle that? And what we found is that in some cases it's actually not. Right? Depending on which thin client you may use, you may actually have a different experience. The the mouse may stutter and things like that. The keyboard when you're doing keystrokes while well, you have something playing, you may miss key keystrokes and stuff like that. So then it becomes a question of, okay, how do I trace the performance of a thin client and then the network and then the guest in the VDI and and really say where is this problem at? That that can be a real tough one. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, trying to. This is where I think the real struggle with VDI comes in is what raised the actual error. Is it part of the image? Is it part of a, a separately virtualized app? Is it a conflict with the hardware on the client or bandwidth problems to the server? Like, there's so many pieces in play to make this work right. Yeah, it is a lot of moving parts. And um, have, have you read Brian Madden or yeah, the the Brian's book no. on VDI? So this yeah, is Brian, Brian Madden's. Brian Madden. Yeah, the VDI delusion. I uh, picked that up in Amazon, and uh, you know, not to give anyone a. Well, I guess I did, but whatever. You know, <laughs> uh, but the book it, it talks about is VDI really the answer to the business problem? And you know, sometimes you just see it implemented because it's just a, it's just a hey, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, for some instances, it really does make sense, and um, you know, you, you can kind of tell when you go into a customer shop was this done as sort of a an experiment or was it done because it's suiting a business need? And that really boils down to all technology. I mean, when SANS first came out, it was put everything in the sand. It's like, well, 
not everything, right? And then, no, 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 we're going to put everything, or now we're going to virtualize everything, and now we're going to do this, now we're going to do that. And it's just that constant grind of not people not observing the 80% rule. You know, the solution will fix 80% of the problems, but not 100%. Well, it's, yeah, anytime I hear anybody say everything, anytime, I get chills, right? Like, it's just, the absolutism is incredibly dangerous. It is. It is quite a bit dangerous. Yeah. Um well, the other thing with our script has, if you go all the way down to the bottom, is we actually wrote an HTA where if you wanted to put it into a VM and run it, you could do that. And then there's some check boxes to check some of the things off that are a little, little controversial, maybe. Um, so we put that in there. Okay. And so HTA, what's it stand for? The HTML application. So is this a, a console for, uh, for the, the script, essentially, give you a visualization of it? Yeah, essentially, most of the things are being done under the hood, but uh, there are some checkboxes for you to turn on some of the things like um, if you wanted arrow. I mean, I don't know why you would, but if you don't want arrow disabled, then you don't have to check it. Um, there's one in there for branch cache support, uh, EFS, encrypted file system, disabling iSCSI. But a lot of these, you know, they just don't make sense. The one that people do think about, though, is the disable Windows search. Um, Outlook becomes kind of an oddball for uh, being supported in a VDI, you know, because if you're running and you're not in cached mode, um, all your searches are being done against the Exchange Store. Right. And the Exchange admins don't, they're not big fans of that. No, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> that, awful. That would be bad. Yeah, I mean, the, the answer is that to go to cached mode, but then if you're in cached mode, I mean, we don't really support putting OSTs in a network redirected folder. Right. So where does it go? And how big of a mailbox are we really supporting here? Are we supporting a 50-gig mailbox? Well, you're going to make one that way. And now we get back to the whole argument over public folders. Like, yeah, yeah you're, just making, you're going to make exchange people angry if you go down that path. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I used to be one. So <laughs> I totally know where they're coming from. So you're already angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you turn off search, you know, the, the, that, that does govern the search in, in Outlook. So, right. um, that's something you need to think about too. So one of the things we say is rather than disabling search, maybe what you ought to do, not be so heavy handed, leave search enabled, but perhaps not index the file system, right? Um, and, you know, basically govern it through configuration settings and things like that, rather than just going in and, and turning the whole thing off and saying, well, they're not going to be able to search very well in Outlook. Too bad, you know. Yeah, but that's, I mean, people live in their Outlook. That's where they find everything. Yes. I mean, I do. I my I don't even know how many how big my mailbox is. It's in the gigs. Right. And um, I'll remember that, oh, yeah, you know, nine months ago I had a conversation about this, and I'll go and do a search for a couple of keywords, and I'll find it. Yep. So, yeah. Well, it's, it, it is a, and it, you know, now we're talking about impairing people's core productivity. The question is, how do you do that indexing when you're dealing with a VM that this stuff just keeps disappearing? Yeah. So, I mean, they, that's definitely a, a key part of the problem here is just recognizing the work style that folks have and being able to use that. And I don't want to exclude Outlook, although apparently Windows 8 not getting a whole lot of, uh, giving a whole lot of love to Outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I really look forward to implementing some Win 8 in, uh, in a VDI environment, actually, and seeing how, how that does, you know, if we're, if we're doing that to a touch device and things like that. Cause it's one of the, been one of the awkward things with Win 7 is, you know, it, it's got the tablet features, but, um, you know, you go in and enable it, but it, none of the apps are really touch ready. So, you know, if you're running Outlook or things like that, it, it isn't really ready for, for the touch. 
uh, interface, but if we're streaming to a touch device and we're running Windows 8, I mean, that, that can be a pretty good experience for people that are doing some, some interesting kinds of work, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, I've heard of a customer. They're, they're, uh, pretty cutting edge. They're migrating from XP to 8. Wow. That's not going to be easy. I know. And a- I mean, hats off to him. You know, it's like that, that's just awesome. But he also, now, you know, the other big piece of here, and as we're coming into the end of the show here, just talking about VDI in general, is at the same time, we have all these new virtualization capabilities coming in that beg the question. Like, I look at Windows to go uh, in, for the enterprise space of Windows 8, where it's like, wow, I'm getting VDI-like effects in some respect, where I can have everything on a USB 3 key that updates in the key and also syncs up to the, to uh, a cloud service or central server of some kind. And I can plug into any machine. I'm not dependent on any given set of hardware. Like, tell me where we're going wrong there. That offers an awful lot of flexibility and a lot of that VDI experience. It does. We've actually been approached by customers where they say, well, we're having a hard time getting off XP, so we're going to implement Windows to go as a migration path. And it's like, uh, uh, we, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could do that, you know. People are the idea of being able to run Windows on a stick. It, customers are just coming up with ideas, you know. Here's what we can do. Here's what we can do. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I mean, it, it's it's just mind boggling. Yeah. Um. You know the the fact that's just op- it's just opening doors, you know, yeah. and, and making people innovative. And I, I love to see that, you know, that kind of energy coming from you know just organically in a customer environment. It's like, hey, now that we can do this. This eliminates, you know, three or four business problems, and we can do this and this and this and this. And it's like, you're right. Good for you guys. Yeah. And and it's interesting to see all these different issues. I mean, I always wrestle with saving money on hardware because, let's face it, hardware is not the expensive part of this. Labor is the expensive part of this. Yeah. Uh, But dealing with security issues in a rational way. VDI certainly one approach to address those security issues. But so is the whitelist app model that Windows 8 is introducing. Yeah. You know, that's a whole other set of thinking on how to address that particular issue. It is. And then we also talk about things like the uh, secure boot with UEFI BIOS. I mean, that's that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. I've, my machine at home supports that, and I've uh, been starting to tinker with it. It's uh, it's like, I mean, I love the idea that I can manage my BIOS, um, you know, or if I, if I had another machine, I could manage my BIOS and, you know, take care of ROM updates and all that stuff through a managed method. Uh, you know, my BIOS, when I go in and look look at the uh, version, it says, hey, do you want me to go see if there's a new version? Which FTP server would you like me to use on the world? You nice. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different mindset, isn't it? It is. Uh, and at it, it, the same time, you also get back to you, what is Windows to go really bring us? That platform agnostic, run on any machine, hot swap, like all of that just comes naturally from there. So yeah, uh, we are... There is no one right way to do this right now. I, I really get the sense, and I think it's getting stranger, not not uh, not simpler. I I agree with that, and you know I don't really think that's a problem necessarily. I I think that every now and then technology needs to bring in some things and just kind of shake things up and get people thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, if we were still you know doing the same thing we were twenty years ago, which um, you could argue that in some places we are, we're yep. still build, putting images on machines and cycle them every four years and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But, um, you know, you can't just be stagnant. You know, you have to have something come in and shake things up every now and then, whether it's, you know, a virus coming in and, and whacking people or if it's a new technology or what have you, you know, there's always something that needs to kind of stir the pot in life. So yeah, it's 
kind of neat to be working for a company that, you know, is doing some of those things. Yeah, and trying different ways to solve the problem. I, I don't know that we're ever going to get one solid message on the right, quote unquote, right way to do this. But uh, it's certainly fun to explore some of the different options and to, to step back and say, so what were we trying to achieve here, really? And I think VDI, yeah. which has been one of those products I think has always struggled, one of these approaches that's just been a struggle to say, is this ever going to be right? Or, you know, are we going to be able to come up with some working solutions for certain scenarios and it's going to be a fairly narrow path? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brian Madden's book, you look at the cover of it, it's a, a hammer and a bent screw. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like that pretty much sums it up for some places yeah. I've seen. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to believe, you know, at the same time you have this customer with all these VDI solutions, uh, they're making it work for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be done for the right reasons, yep. the right technology, and the right buy-in, and and it can work, and it 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 can do good things. So yeah, it is it is awesome to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna pick up the VDI dilution and have a read myself. Maybe we'll have to revisit this subject in a couple of months. That'd be fun. Jeff, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you for your time, and Appreciate we'll it. talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 